0: Hey folks, welcome to Lights Out Mass, a podcast about government transparency, or the lack thereof, in Massachusetts. I'm Andrew Quimer, here with my co-host, Jeff Raymond. Hi, everybody. We are recording on August 7th, 2023, and this is our first episode. Uh, so uh, we are going to obviously introduce ourselves, and we'll get into a little bit about the themes of this podcast. Uh But first uh, we want to talk about a piece of recent news. We are mostly going to be focusing on like local and state news uh, for this, but you know, Donald Trump uh, is like the center of gravity for this country, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, And uh, we wanted to, we're just going to touch on one piece about uh, this most recent indictment as I'm sure everybody in the world knows uh, Trump was just Was it last week? It feels like forever, you know. Time has 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 no no meaning. (laughs) Time has no meaning anymore. But I believe it was last week Trump was indicted for the third time. Uh, This one is particularly noteworthy, I guess, because of the nature of the charges. You know, it relates to the attempts to overturn the election. Um, So uh, but but what we want to talk about was uh, when when Trump goes on trial, this will be in federal court. uh, as well as the um, the documents case, the uh, top secret documents case will also be in federal court. Uh, but in federal court, there are no cameras allowed. And uh, you know, I think I, I don't really like to use the word historic uh, flippantly, but I mean, you know, former president being charged with trying to overturn an election—I think that's pretty fair to call that historic. And just the the idea that uh, in, you know, the year of our Lord, 2023, uh, we can't have, you know, a live stream, uh, we can't have a TV broadcast of uh, that. It just seems uh, pretty backward. I mean, what do you think, Jeff?
1: It's it's interesting. Part of what goes through my head is how we've spent going on seven years now saying, you know, the president is not above the law, the president should not be treated anybody any differently than any other person, you know, any other person would also not have their trials televised. (laughs) So, you know, there is something to there's something ironic about that to me. But with that said, to your point, this is historic. This is something that has never happened before, hopefully never happens again. Um, You know, it's it's such a weird a weird situation that you'd think, you know, special times call for separate, so what am I trying to say? It is special times call for special measures, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I would say though, that it, it shouldn't require special circumstances to have cameras in federal court. You know, I mean, I wrote, um, a piece a number of years ago during the trial of Jahar Sarnayev, the uh, convicted Boston Marathon bomber, um, and uh, just talking about the lack of cameras at that case, too. And, you know, I guess, obviously, that was a special case, too. And, and that was also something that had uh, sort of a historical significance, I guess you could say, at least for the city of Boston. Um, uh but you know, I said that cameras should be allowed in that trial. Um, there was, uh, I also brought up sort of the Whitey Bulger case. Uh, you know, I really thought cameras should have been allowed in there. Those are both things that have significance to Boston and, you know, the public, I just think deserves to be able to see that. But, but I also, I had compared, uh, back then to the trial of Aaron Hernandez, which was going on. Uh, people might remember that the football player who, uh, was convicted of a murder, and I believe he was acquitted of another murder in a separate case. I will
1: say that the thing that worries me about televising this trial is that I came of social awareness age around the time of the O.J. Simpson trial. Yes. And that was a circus. And I could recognize that as as a circus at age 13, 14. Um, This is... um, We are going through a situation now where Trump is vaguely or not vaguely threatening the people who are prosecuting him on social media I have no faith whatsoever that he can be corralled in a courtroom atmosphere and you know it's just I don't know if we can tolerate another circus after living through four years of it (laughs)
0: yeah I mean, I, I'm not sure I actually finished my last point. What I was saying was that uh, we have in state courts in Massachusetts people the, the press you know and uh, anyone who's registered as a member of the media is allowed to bring cameras into a courtroom with the permission of the judge um, subject to court rules. and there were cameras at the Hernandez trial and he was someone who was you know famous too and this was a uh, big a big deal in the local media and you know like this guy didn't fall and in fact, we, we don't just have cameras uh, allowed in like trial courts, the um, state appeals court and the state Supreme judicial court, they actually record everything on their own. They have cameras there and they post it all online. Um, but so, so, I mean, I, I guess I think if, you know, states and Massachusetts is, is one of many states that allows cameras in the courtroom, if states can do it, I think the federal government, the federal courts should be able to do it too. But uh, yeah, I mean, responding to your point, Certainly, uh, you know, a big part of Trump is just his uh, ability to uh, leverage the media. And there's certainly a legitimate concern about how uh, he would, um, how how it would affect the atmosphere of the trial and and just his ability to sort of keep, uh, you know, spinning his uh, lies and, you know, uh, drawing things to his advantage. But... You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I I think that those concerns are secondary to the the main concern, which is just like, the this is so important. The public has a right to know. And, you know, I mean, honestly, you could make the opposite case, which is that if there are no cameras, then people are just going to make stuff up. They're going to be like, OK, well, we have a transcript, but, you know, it was faked or whatever. You know, there will be <laughs> there'll be all kinds of theories if if we can't just see it for ourselves
1: the loser mainstream media says that I lied on the stand, but that's just not true. It's just another lie from Hillary in her deep state.
0: Yeah. But (laughs) anyway, uh, probably probably spending too much time on Trump. We should uh, get to the main point of this. Um, Yeah. So I was talking to Jeff and I said, uh, there's this totally untapped market for something called a podcast. And if we can, Get in early, you know, in this whole podcast thing. Ground floor, baby. Ground yeah, we'll floor. Be, we'll be uh <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll really strike while the iron's hot and uh we will capture this podcast market. Um so uh our podcast, like I said, it's gonna be primarily about government transparency, which uh something that I would say is near and dear to uh both my heart and Jeff's heart. Um so Why don't we, uh, I guess, introduce ourselves. Um, So uh, Jeff, do you wanna go first? Sure.
1: Um, So I have been on the outside of the media landscape for about seven or eight years now. I used to be a columnist for a local paper in central Massachusetts. um, And since then have transitioned to a more independent outlet um, specific to our work here is um, the mass transparency project that I launched about a month and a half ago. Um, We're delivering this in August, so beginning of July. Um, It started as a project for my other outlet, the Braymanville Tribune, but um, once it became a statewide thing and once it became a much bigger project than I anticipated, um, I decided to spin it off into its own little um, little thing on its side. So my focus is going to be on local government, um, municipal public records to try to dig into whether it's, you know, what police officers have disciplinary records or how many people are bidding on school bus contracts. It's going to run the gamut depending on what flight of fancy I have at any given time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so your first big project, uh, I don't know if you have a specific name for it, but it deals with, um, Data about police complaints, right?
1: Correct. Um, so the statewide um police officers training and standards commission the Peace
0: officer standards police and officer. training commission. Yes. They, they try to fake um, you out with that one.
1: They do. Um, they were allegedly putting together a database of police complaints in 2022. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. They kept saying it was gonna happen. They said it was weeks away. And then all of a sudden, they were like, eh, actually, we don't want to do this. And then it came out toward the end of last year that they felt that there were, I'm going to put this in air quotes, data integrity issues with the spreadsheets that were sent to them, and that they would just can the stuff they got and start fresh with something else. And that's uh, that's what radicalized me on this one. <laughs> so,
0: Yeah, and I think that a bit later in the episode, we're going to be talking a bit more about this. Um, right. But uh before we get into that, I mean you said you've got some other projects planned. I don't know, are any of those at the the phase where you can say anything about them?
1: Yeah. I mean I, I, I think that part of transparency is also being transparent about your goals. Um and a lot of this post record thing has spun off itself into a side project of trying to figure out exactly how much money these municipalities are spending on Organizations like the Mass Chiefs of Police Association, like the Municipal um, Manager Association, groups like that that um, I have now learned spend a good deal of their time helping these communities keep public records out of the public eye. And they're providing advice and support and sometimes even legal help (laughs) in order to do so. And I don't think people realize how much, mon- how much of their money is going toward these organizations that could be going to 10 million other things in their local towns.
0: Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that there are these, um, I-, I mean, technically they are private organizations, but they are sort of these uh, extensions or instruments of, I guess you could say, local officials, and they exist for, like you were mentioning, the police chiefs, but there's also, for example, the Massachusetts Municipal Association, which represents cities and city and town governments. Um, I think there's like a Municipal Lawyers Association. There's all these different sort of municipal associations and other uh, uh, these uh, organizations that represent cities and or, I'm sorry that represent different types of public officials. And they, uh, they play sort of a behind-the-scenes role in, um, to some extent, like forming policy. But they, they actually uh, are involved in lobbying at the uh, statehouse level. They lobby the legislature um, for policies. Uh, and I have a, a memory of back during uh, 2016 when they were updating the public records law. Uh public records, I'm about to get into that, but that's a big uh, focus of Jeff uh, and my work is uh, accessing uh, information about local and state government through the public records law, but the um, Massachusetts Municipal Association was really involved in sort of lobbying against a lot of the positive changes that were going to be made to the, uh, the law that they passed that year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting uh, angle and it's interesting topic to look at, because uh, people don't necessarily know, uh, don't necessarily understand a lot about how these um, local officials are kind of, you know, talking to each other about, you know, how can we institute policies that we like, but that wouldn't necessarily be popular with our uh, constituents. Um, but uh like what else have you been uh doing? You mentioned like school bus contracts. What what <laughs> caused you to be interested in that?
1: That's a that's a funny one. And I mean there's there's people in Worcester who've done a lot of good work on this, and you know, hoping we can actually talk with one of the journalists that's been working on this story. But um a couple of years back, Worcester took their buses in-house. Um, they decided that the district was going to Run the school buses as opposed to outsourcing it to one of the three or four different groups. The interesting thing about school buses is that everybody knows it's a cartel, but nobody wants to talk about it. And essentially, not to say that they have colluded to not bid on certain towns, but it sure looks like they have. And you'll find if you look at your town's records that last time your bus contract came up, you probably had one bidder, and it was probably the person who was there before and these folks aren't competing against each other and they're not explaining what's going on. And nobody's looking at the bus budget as one of the chief drivers of your education dollar. But again, like I think it was in the um, article that was put out on Shainer's, Bill Shainer's, Wester sucks but I love it uh, newsletter. Um, She said that um, they were able to, with the money they saved, get 20 new paraprofessionals in the wow. schools actually helping the students as opposed to paying a third-party bus company to be late all the time and to you know just run their cartel out of Worcester. You know, there's a lot going on there. And especially with a lot of the regionalization of schools in central and western Massachusetts, I think there's a story there. I think there's something to be said about going out and actually getting all this information from all the towns and seeing where, seeing how the map works out you know find out who who is who's running what towns here and what's going on here it feels very mobby it feels very organized mafia you know
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean that's not something I know a lot about so I'll be interested to hear what you uh are able to find out I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some point um is that uh like your your big after you finish with the post records, is that going to be your big project?
1: It's going to be one of them. It's, you know, I mean, I've, God knows I have enough to do, but it's, uh, you know, it's, that one's going to be probably less contentious (laughs) by virtue of it not being the police, it not being as emotional, um, being completely different organizations that I'll be reaching out to for it. But, you know, I mean, for all I know, if some buses could end up outside my house and be ready to put a hit out if I ask the wrong <laughs> questions. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe some mobbed up bus drivers will be after you. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. So again, I'm Andrew Kummer. Um I write a uh, substack newsletter called The Mass Dump. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, public records are kind of my thing. So uh, The Mass Dump is basically the same theme as this podcast it's about transparency and as i said i do a lot of this work through the public records law which maybe i should have said this earlier public records law is basically uh, a law that if you've ever heard of the the freedom of information act this is basically uh this is a federal law and the the public records law in massachusetts is the sort of state equivalent of the freedom of information act or foia uh, and sometimes people will refer to the Public Records Law just as FOIA, um, just because it's basically the same thing, just uh, at a state level. But um, I use this to uh, look into things primarily uh, about policing. That's sort of my my uh, my bugbear, I guess you could call it. Uh, I, so so I'm a. I think we're we're going to get into this a little bit. I think Jeff and I politically are we're on a slightly different page, but that'll maybe give us some interesting back and forth at some point. So I'm coming at this from an abolitionist perspective. I, I believe in abolishing the police and prisons. Um, I think that, I mean, don't even get me started, Jeff, uh, we'll be,
1: I mean, uh, and and that's fine, and I find myself coming more and more onto that side the more I dig into these police records. Um I come from a family of law enforcement officers. Uh, my father, my father was a is a special police officer in my hometown. My uncle was a chief of police in Milbury. Um, for a long time on Facebook, when you were allowed to put political leanings, mine was more conservative than you. Um I tend to be,
0: and, and well, that's probably true for the two of us right now. It, it would
1: be true for this <laughs> podcast, but it also speaks to why I care so much about transparency and public records because I am I I am fiscally conservative to the point of no return in a lot of ways, and the fact that we're spending outside amount of money blocking public records requests, trying to keep people not knowing what's going on in their government, just wasting time and energy. It, you know, that's the stuff that got me politically situated to start and seeing a way I can use that anger toward other outlets and learn new things along the way is just icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jeff doesn't know it, but part of why I asked him to start the podcast is so I can slowly pull him over to my side. I'm going to have him uh you'll have me have better red
1: than dead by the time this i'll, I'll over. have
0: him <laughs> screaming in a cop's face at a protest uh you know by the end of the year um uh but anyway as i was saying so as i was saying um you know so i'm i'm uh, an investigative journalist um not affiliated with any particular publication i have done freelance work uh especially for dig boston but i primarily just write for my own newsletter the mass dump um And I, you know, I'm interested in uh, police misconduct, uh, police violence, or, you know, as the jargon goes, police use of force. Um, I am also just very interested in, like, transparency itself as a value. And I think it's interesting that Jeff mentioned that looking at public records is starting to cause some some gears to move in his his uh his skull because uh, you know that's the value of transparency is that you can't like you can't have an informed conversation and make informed judgments about what's going on in government if you don't actually know what's going on and that's that's the value of the public records law of a strong public records law of an open meeting law of other transparency laws um, and I uh, I actually got involved with public records, I want to say in 2011, which like Jesus oh, Christ, wow. like it's been, <laughs> been a long time uh, and I have, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because like public records is, um, I mean, it's right there in the name. It's for everybody. It's not like for journalists or lawyers or whoever. It's for the public. Um and anyone can do it. And I was just anyone. I wasn't like a journalist at the time. I just got interested, um, you know, same same topic, interested in police. So I, um, uh, you know, I started making public records requests. And something I've discovered is that even though it is for the public, it you know, like I've had to accumulate a lot of knowledge over time. It It can get a little complicated, a little technical at times.
1: Yeah, that I was just about to say just that. It's like, I'm not a lawyer. I probably should have become a lawyer the way I know how to write these appeals now. But <laughs> it's, um, you know, for, for as robust as our public records law is in many ways in Massachusetts, the number of exceptions and the number of case law and cases that people rely on um, makes it impenetrable to anybody who isn't either doing it for a living or has something terribly wrong with them to the point that they do this as a hobby as a side gig like we do. <laughs> you know, it's it's completely insane. And it's, you know, I will tell these stories to my wife and she'll be like, why is that okay? And I'm like, it's not okay. I should not have to be doing this. I think between the two of us, how many, have, how many times have you appealed the public records request of the state at this point?
0: Uh, I think last time I checked, it was up to like 460 plus going back to 2014. And I would have had like a few, however many other appeals prior to that. Um, Right. So,
1: yeah. And I think that I'm going to hit 300 this week. So, yeah, I mean, just
0: been been going wild. He's been, he's a man on a mission (laughs) right now. Um, but no, I mean, just to, I want to push back slightly and say that, you shouldn't be discouraged because uh, you should get it. It's a message. I, I like to uh, emphasize that people should get involved with public records. Um, Like uh, there are just ordinary people who do this, you know, because they want to know what's going on in their town. Um, And to be fair, you know, some of them are um, gadfly type people who are, you know, doing this a lot. However, like you don't have to, I mean, it's true. Like it it can be a challenge, especially if you're going after something that someone doesn't want you to see, like there, there is pushback and that's something that will be a major theme of this podcast. Um, the, uh, pushback against transparency, but, uh, that said you should, uh, try it out. And really the only way to learn this is through doing it. Um, like you it gets easier it, yeah, <laughs> it does it get easier it gets easier i mean like there there's like a guide to the public records law it's on the secretary of the commonwealth's website that you can download um and it it lists out all these exemptions to the public records law, all the stuff that they can say to deny you records and like at first when you're going after some type of record you'll be like checking it constantly and being like trying to trying to parse this legal language But after a while, you get this like, you know, uh, you just you've like memorized it and you're like, you'll read a thing and just immediately be like, no, that's wrong. Like, I'm just going to write up a a quick appeal. I feel
1: like I've gotten so lazy with some of my recent appeals where it's like the exception C is the one that I've been dealing with the most, which is called shorthand, the privacy exception. And prior to 2020, it. Withheld any personnel records of public servants. So, if you worked for the state and you wanted to find out if somebody if somebody worked for the state, I should say, and you wanted to find out if they had disciplinary records, well, they hold those back because you know you're just public servants. But in 2020, as part of the police reform law, they allowed um, the police records to be put forward as um, public records, which is why this post database was going to be such a big deal. Um, a lot of these departments have been citing exemption C, because they're still thinking that it's a personnel record that isn't opt for disclosure. The state has said now 300 times, no, in fact, you have to release those because they changed the law. Um, It's just very fascinating that at this point, I'm putting these things together where it's pretty much I'm quoting them. And then I say, as exemption C says, it shall not apply to police records. I'm asking you to order them to release them. And it's like, you know no more 10 page appeals you're getting a page and a half just quoting this back to you because i know what they i know what the result's going to be
0: <laughs> yeah and uh this is going to be a big theme going forward is like i said the pushback and we i think at some point we're probably going to have an episode about Jeff and i have been talking a little bit about appeals and j- just for people who aren't familiar with this uh you can file an appeal it's it's a written process where you just basically send a letter to the public records division of the secretary of the Commonwealth's office, or, you know, also known as the secretary of state, um, Bill Galvin's office, Bill Galvin. <laughs> yes. He's been there for like 300 Ever. years now, back <laughs> since, back since they were holding the Salem witch trials, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but so you, uh, send a to send this, uh, appeal to the public records division, which is headed by a, uh, appointee of Galvin who is called the supervisor of public records. Um, and they will write a letter that basically says uh, either that the agency is fine or uh, that the agency has not justified withholding the records. Or unfortunately, a lot of the time they will write that, oh, the agency said they're going to send you a new response. So we'll just close it. Uh, giant. I swear to yes. God, I
1: would not have 300 appeals if they yeah, didn't close know, right? things early. I, When I first got that, I'd never gotten it before. I was like, how is this okay? How is this okay? And I and I remember I actually st- spoke to one of the lawyers there and everything's off the record with them. So you can't really do it. But I'm like, you can't be doing that. <laughs> like, like you don't understand what that does to us.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. The public. I've
0: had, I've had the that public same, of
1: your division.
0: I've had that same conversation. But um, I think at some point Jeff and I are probably going to do a whole episode about appeals and just Guess like appeals, adv- Public records
1: appeals 101 Cra-
0: crazy <laughs> stories and just advice. Um, I, and so actually there's another podcast that Jeff and I have both been on called the weed out. And I actually um, did a whole episode with them about appeals. I can put a link to that, but I think I'd like to do another episode for our podcast. Um, Cause I'm curious to talk with Jeff about his experience. He's been, uh, it, it's not normal to file like three hundred appeals. It in isn't one year. No. Je- Jeff is like I said. It's he's not like,
1: normal to to do three hundred appeals ever.
0: No, over the course
1: of an entire career. No, Never mind doing I, them over the course of three months, like I have.
0: <laughs> like I said, I've done like four hundred sixty plus, and that's like a lot. Like there's yeah. there's there are there are more the other people who have done more than me, but they're it's it's probably a handful. I know that the guy who would I think the most is coleman herman who's like a freelance journalist and i i don't know off the top of my head but he's done probably like twice as many as i have if not more um uh but there there aren't that many people who do that many appeals like it's uh it's it's a lot but it, the problem is like if you're doing a project like jeff is doing like you get so much pushback that it is necessary um yeah, in a future
1: uh, episode, we're going to talk to the specifics as to how this post record project became three hundred something appeals. Um, yes, but this is and, just an intro podcast to let you guys know what we're doing. So yeah, and
0: and also, uh, I, so back back to the work I've been doing. Um, so you know, part of part of uh, what I've been doing is uh, like just straight journalism, like uh, investigating stuff with public records. Um, but I also, you know, I see myself and honestly, I think all journalists should see themselves as an advocate for transparency. And I, this year, uh, have brought two public records lawsuits against two district attorneys for withholding, guess what, uh, records about police misconduct. Yeah. I mean, like this stuff, like anywhere you go, you'll get pushback about this stuff, whether you're going to the police or going to like third parties, um, Uh, And this is something we're probably going to do a a whole separate podcast about my lawsuits, we might talk a little bit more about it later in the episode. But, um, you know, I mean, honestly, I see like suing people for public records as kind of like an extension of journalism, because the idea of journalism is that you are seeking out information that, you know, is uh, important to the public in some way, and then you're bringing that information to the public. And so I just see, you know, these lawsuits as as a version of that. You know, like uh, it's not uh, not like I'm trying to put myself in like the, you know, make myself the focus of the story. It's that it's necessary for me to do so to get that information.
1: So the thing that's funny about uh, your lawsuits aren't funny because there shouldn't be a lawsuit for this. Like that's the part that kills me about these public record lawsuits. Transparency is cheap. Transparency doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't take too much time to send you a few spreadsheets or send, in your case, a Brady list, which is the list of officers. I'm, I'm going to shorthand it because I can, that um, the list of officers that aren't credible witnesses in a lawsuit, you yeah, know, people basically takes,
0: accuse of crimes or misconduct.
1: And it takes 10 minutes convicting. to do that. And now you've got two DAs that are spending time, money and public resources to not release things that. They could take five minutes to release. It would make no difference to them. And more importantly, this is the part that kills me the most. You've probably gotten more press out of doing the lawsuits than any of your stories would have done if you had just done a story on the Brady things. Yeah, It would have been a story that would have been focused and it would have, you know, people would have enjoyed it and people, especially on the abolitionist side of things, would have really gotten something out of it. You'd probably have some, you know, advocates that would see it and be like, this is great. But now you're getting, you know, you get interviewed by statewide news people and it's going to be people are going to be paying attention to this lawsuit and now they're going to want to see what comes out of it. These DA's just screwed themselves.
0: All right, and yeah, with that why don't we sort of transition into the sort of main topic that we were going to discuss which we sort of already been discussing I guess, but we're we're going to talk about the this idea of like police misconduct and how um How we can sort of shine a light on uh, police misconduct, have transparency for it. And I guess like there are sort of several sources of information on this topic. I mean, the first one would be like if a police department or a district attorney's office or, you know, a city or a town. Um, sort of voluntarily discloses information like if they put out a press release which yeah you sometimes you sometimes do see but not not that often uh, I mean sometimes like if a DA charges a police officer with a crime you'll see a press release or something or even a, I've even seen like the Boston Police Department like publish a press release about an officer who was charged with a crime um, but that is not the main source of information this is generally you know stuff that they don't want to get out um, so uh you know public records you have to go digging often um i guess actually before we get into that another source would be like if someone is sued um then you know you can get information from the courts or actually if they're charged with a crime you can also get information from the courts but the issue for both of these things is that you have to know about it so with the uh the the with the lawsuits often the person suing will put out information and you can look it up um but there's a problem with the the criminal information, which is that you have to like go to the courthouse to get that information because criminal uh, court records are not searchable by a member of the public. Only civil court records are searchable. Um, so you'd have to like know that an officer was charged with a crime and then like go to the the courthouse.
1: Yeah, or you have to know the tricks. Like for instance, one site that I found was is called Judy Records. JudyRecords.us. So essentially, they compile all the public, public records and then stuff that isn't so public, but is still a public legal document and throws them up there on the site. So if you know the um, plaintiff or the defendant, you can look up their name. And if it's something that's ever been publicized or picked up in a public records dump or whatever, they have them all right there. Um, yeah. It's it's really fascinating, and I've made a few connections with different um, records requests with these post records in particular, based on research I did on on um, on Judy records. It was huh. um, kind of surprising. Um, you know, the thing you were saying about you know the press releases. Part of the problem with the legacy media right now is the way that too often they just act as sort of like the stenographer for yes. what the police say about things and you know, a lot of the problems we've had with these stories of police misconduct is because initially the media is just putting out a story based on what the police say happened.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's like famous examples of this, like George Floyd, where there's like a press release that was like some guy had a medical episode while the police were, you know, they had arrested him or whatever. And then it's like a video comes out like five minutes later of them just like murdering this guy. Like, it's just, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I, I sh- we should just be careful and say that there there are there are, it's often there are often legitimate criticisms to be made about you know local media um but I, I will say also that to some extent it's not the fault of the journalists themselves or the editors it's it's a problem with uh the industry and the lack of uh, money, You know, obviously, as I'm sure everybody knows that, you know, news has been really hit hard by the shift especially to online, Yeah, especially, especially local, local news to the shift to online, because, you know, there's no, all the ad revenues dried up, it's gone to social media. And now like, you can't even get your story seen on Facebook without paying Facebook, you know, like a ransom to show your post, to all, even if you have 1000s of followers, they like won't even show it to people. So now not only are you losing the ad revenue, but you got to like pay, pay just to get your story seen. Um, so it's it's a, like a nightmare for local news. And like they've lost so many uh, reporters. We have this company, Gannett, which... Uh, Gannett uh, is why
1: I don't write for the Milbury Sutton Chronicle anymore. Yeah, you they, know? They, it's... they
0: control a huge percentage of the newspapers in Massachusetts. And they've just been absolutely brutal, like laying people off left and right. Um, it's just like, uh, you know, they've closed down newsrooms or they've merged these like local newsrooms into sort of these regional papers that barely publish any local news. Um, you know, I in, I live in Framingham and we have a Gannett paper. It's the um, uh, Metro West Daily News. And I remember, I don't remember exactly when it was. It might have been like a, a couple of years ago. I, I i knew that the paper was going down the tube, but like what really like like sealed it for me was when I noticed they started enlarging the font on the paper to like hide the fact that they weren't publishing as much stuff. And I was just like, wow, like that's bad.
1: Yeah, there are approximately zero journalists, approximately, who think that the situation we're in right now is, is sustainable in the long term. And, you know, I don't fault anybody for, you know, running with the information they have, but this decimation of these newsrooms means that you don't have as many journalists available to do this sort of public record requests necessary to, um, you know, actually investigate a lot of these situations and, you know, just double check and see if, what the police report is saying is actually what went on, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and that's that really brings us to where these internal affairs records come into play because we're also learning from these post records as they're getting put forward about how many investigations actually occur, how they're being recorded, and how they're being sorted out at the end of the day. Um, you know, part of the um, pushback from the police unions has been the fact that the state post commission was asking for any incident reports, whether they were sustained, unsustained, whether the officer was exonerated, whether there was anything in their record at all. And a lot of the chiefs of police were coming back to me saying, well, I don't want the guy who had a uniform violation being put in the same boat as the guy who was, you know, indicted for sexual assault. Well, I get it, but that's, you know, part of a public record and part of a public database is understanding that you know, there are going to be good cops and bad cops. And we have to be able to see the whole picture, not just the ones you want to show us.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that to some extent, that is like a very patronizing, uh, e- even even with respect to the, like, say a uniform, bio, like a, a dress code violation to say that maybe that shouldn't be disclosed feels like a little patronizing because it's like, I think people in the public are smart enough to know that if a guy has like a one uniform violation, that doesn't mean he's out like beating people like, right. like, uh, but, but we still want to know like, you know, uh, about, about what's going on. But I mean, it really like, so, so just to be clear, what we're talking about are, are what are called internal affairs investigations, which is when a police department will either get a complaint about an officer or they will have a, like an internal complaint where a fellow officer or a supervisor will flag some potential issue. And then they will have their own sort of in-house investigators uh, investigate, or you know sometimes, unfortunately, they probably aren't really doing any investigation uh, or much of any investigation. And then they will reach a conclusion about whether that officer uh, violated a, a particular policy. Um, and then they will, you know, write up a report. Um, and this is uh, like a big source of information about what's going on with the police um, is, and, and actually Jeff had, had mentioned earlier that there was a change to the public records law um, in 2020. Uh, and, but actually these internal affairs records, I just want to be clear have been uh, a matter of public record for at, at least two decades in in 20 uh, i'm sorry 2003 there was a court case that found that these records are public records and and this 2020 uh change jeff mentioned was actually just sort of um
1: codifying it codifying that in
0: statute um but really it, which is why it's it's additionally it's like ironic that they're going and claiming that this exemption still applies to the records in some cases because it's like they, they never applied in the first place. Like a judge right. judges already said that it, it didn't. But yeah, but the, the so these records are a huge source of information about police misconduct. But what this 2020 law is, as Jeff is mentioning, did that is really important for transparency. Is it started this process of the post commission compiling all of these records? But what, uh, as Jeff was mentioning, the Post Commission originally was gathering basically all of these uh, records, but then later said, well, you know what? We only want the stuff that's sustained, which is the sort of term of art that the police use when the internal investigation found that the officer did do what was alleged of them. So these are cases where the officer was found to have engaged in misconduct. And I mean, this is like, really interesting for several reasons uh and infuriating for several reasons w- one is that there's no distinction in the law between an exonerated officer a not sustained a sustained complaint like these are all public so why the post commission doesn't want them uh you know out there it doesn't make a lot of sense when they're already well, we know why. records no i mean we sure we can certainly <laughs> we can certainly infer uh but i mean you can get those records from the police departments themselves uh, so why wouldn't the post commission want them if if anybody can can view them but the like the sort of really concerning part is the post commission was created as part of this sort of uh, big police reform law, the idea of which is to bring more accountability and transparency. uh, And we should say outside accountability, you know, not internal investigations, but an outside agency. um, It's supposed to be looking at these uh, police departments and if if your role is to be the outside uh, accountability mechanism, the outside investigators, why do you only want to know about the incidents where the police department has already determined that something bad happened? At that point, like, are you just a rubber stamp? Like, they should know, they should want to know about, like, oh, this officer has, like, 30 complaints and none of them were sustained because that could be, you know, really concerning and it might be something they'd want to look into.
1: So I believe that the reform law requires all investigation results regardless of um, regardless of outcome to be sent to POST. And this specific database was only going to be of the sustained type things. So what they're saying, what they were essentially saying, what POST was saying was this spreadsheet, because they... I'm, we're getting in the weeds a little bit as to what these are for an intro podcast, but essentially, the each department in the state had to put together a spreadsheet just listing out all the internal affairs investigations. The, it wasn't going into any further detail about them. It was pretty much saying, this is the officer, This is the this is the investigation, this is the outcome with whatever punishment may have been levied on it. So this was supposed to be just a high-level look that they could then dump into a database and... You know, put it in Tableau and be done. So, the state, I've been getting emails as well for some of these. And you'll see some of these departments sending, we just did an internal affairs on this officer is attached. And so, you know, some of those are exonerated, some of those are not. So, I think they are collecting all the information. It's how much of that information they want to give to us, the public, who is supposed to be able to look at this stuff and make these decisions. So, to your point, we want to know if a guy has 30 complaints, even if only five of them are sustained, that shows a pattern, it shows a pattern. And those are the those are the things that we can't put together as normal everyday citizens, because we're not seeing all of it. But if you if you have an officer who's, you know, had, you know, been indicted for something, as we had in Duxbury about a month and a half ago, you can look at their post records, that one officer who was indicted, was responsible for half of the complaints issued to the Duxbury police over a 10-year period. That's information. That's news. That's something people should know about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the thing about this is, like, as I said, these records have been public for all this time. But what is so significant about the post thing is that they're finally being compiled in one location, which... The that makes them far more accessible. And it also it allows us to look at these patterns um, that may emerge from the data. And you know, this is a common thing where an officer uh like Derek Chauvin, to go back to the you know that example, uh, might have tons of complaints, and you know, none of them are sustained, very few of them are sustained, and then all of a sudden he gets charged with a serious crime. And then it, 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 you know, it's important for people to be able to go back and look and say, well, hey, why wasn't this guy stopped sooner before it came to this, you know, really serious outcome? Uh, you know, maybe we could have avoided that. And what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And that is again the value of transparency. Um, and hopefully, having this data public will allow us to sort of prevent things like that from happening. And that, that was sort of my point though, is that like the post commission should really be taking a look at these in uh, cases where an officer um, might have a lot of complaints that aren't sustained and they might, you know want to be asking questions about that. Um, but uh...
1: So you asked earlier about projects that I'm working on. and one thing that I've been kind of uh, post is dragging their feet on it. Um, I ended up tripping up on a meeting between post, and the Massachusetts Chiefs of Police o- Organization um, about the recertification process in particular. This um, this was a Zoom meeting that happened in 2021. And I was able to download the Zoom video for it, which I don't think I was really supposed to be able to have access to, but oh well. Um, there is definitely some finagling going on in the background in terms of you know the departments and the unions and the officers and the chiefs about what information that they actually want to put forward here and it very much feels like post is just bending to the will of these departments and it's a shame because this whole idea of centralizing it in the state was to have that somewhat independent voice with a with some push behind it from the state level and they're just falling down on the job
0: yeah and I think that when we do the full episode about your project we're going to get maybe into some of the reasons why that might be the case. Um, but yeah, so uh, like we were saying, there, there's different sources of information about police misconduct. Like we we said, there's like news releases or sort of proactive releases of information. There are uh, court records, there are internal affairs records and there are now you know post commission records and uh, one other type of record I, I think we should get into. But before that, I think I got interrupted uh, the the other thing about uh, these criminal court records, like I said, you can't get those if you're uh, a member of the public. You have to be an attorney. So the uh, at least you can't get them online anyway. You have to like go to the courthouse. Um, uh, but the the other trick is that you uh, you know a lawyer who will look stuff up for you. Uh, you get you get in with uh, somebody and you uh, have them email you stuff. Uh, that's that's my uh, trick. Uh, for, for getting court records. Um, uh, no, I mean, it's wild. Like they have all this stuff. It, it's they have, uh, if you go and search for like a, it, I mean, first of all, mass courts, it's called masscourts.org. It's the
1: worst website, worst website world.
0: ever. Well, actually, sorry. I, I'm, I'm, before I get into that, mo- most, um, most lawsuits against the police are actually in federal court. Um, so that, that, that's a website called PACER P A C E R. It's an acronym, I don't remember what it stands for, which is a horrible website, by the way. Um, but there are other websites that will sort of capture information from Pacer and you might be able to find uh record. So Pacer actually costs money to use and you have to like sign up with a like a credit card, um, but you have like a certain amount free, um, but there's websites that will sort of capture information from Pacer. Um, there's like a browser extension. It's called recap, I think. Um, I feel bad I'm drawing a blank on who who makes that but it will like when you go into pacer you download a document it will like upload it to their website oh and then so it's a really cool thing and like that way if you like you, you download it and you forget where you put it like it'll be online somewhere and you can just look it up without charging um um but the uh mass courts like I was saying is our state court website and it's like really horrible uh to use because you have to like go into there's like a captcha every time you know where you got to like you know look at all the pictures and say which one has a fire hydrant in it or whatever you can't use
1: the back button
0: (laughs) yeah and then you gotta like search by the party name so you have to know the name of the person you're searching for but then they've got all the court records but then you just can't get something if it's part of a criminal case only a civil case and like the lawyers have access to the same thing for criminal cases so like it's completely ridiculous because these are public court records uh so like I said, my my trick is to know a lawyer uh, who, who <laughs> will uh, tolerate you sending them emails all the time asking for stuff. And so I guess the last type of record in terms of police misconduct stuff are uh, Brady records. Uh, so this refers to a Supreme Court case from the 60s called uh, Brady v. Maryland from, I believe, 1962 or 1963 um and the uh this gave this is a case about how someone who's charged with a crime needs to be provided with any information that can help their defense and uh this includes information like uh that could be used to discredit a witness um and so it's taken on this sort of other meaning um and it's used for something called a brady list this is something that some prosecutors keep and it's basically a list of like law enforcement officers who have some sort of credibility issue. It's probably that they were accused of misconduct or accused, they're charged with a crime, um, especially something related to dishonesty. But it might not necessarily be dishonesty. It could be excessive force or something to that like that. Um, but these Brady records are. Um, not every not every prosecutor keeps a list of, of officers, but they're still required to make these disclosures. Um, so they all have like disclosures about police officers. They might have reports or things. Um, and this is another source of information. And it's really helpful because, you know, especially since we can't get stuff from the Post Commission right now um it it, it's a it's a huge hassle to go to every police department i mean it hasn't stopped jeff from trying he's still working on that um i've only got about 40 to go (laughs) yeah but uh um but nevertheless having these prosecutors gathering information from different departments it it gives you a source of information where you can go to the prosecutor and say give me your list or give me all the disclosures um and then you can find out about a lot of different officers. Sometimes you'll find officers uh, charged with crimes and the officer's name wasn't reported in the media yet. Um, that's something I found. Um, I, I actually had a, have a project that's sort of still ongoing. I started it in uh Oh, my goodness. It was uh, January of 2022 last year, and now it's more than a year and a half out, and I still don't have all the records. And uh, we we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I'm actually suing two district attorney's offices, the Northwestern District Attorney's Office and the Bristol County District Attorney's Office, because they have uh, given me a hard time. They're redacting information. The Bristol DA is withholding certain information and trying to charge this really ridiculous $500 fee. And, uh, I've had some other outstanding issues with some of the DA's offices that I think we will get into in a later episode. Some DA's offices have been, they've been willing to play ball though, and they've given me the information. Um, so it's, it's really a mixed bag. Like you will go around two different places and make these requests and sometimes you'll get cooperation. Sometimes you will not, but, um, I guess, we just sort of wanted to talk about this issue of like different avenues for looking into things because I I guess for me, at least um, maybe Jeff will have his own thoughts, but for me, like, I think it's important for people to have like media literacy and to understand like where information comes from. So like I, I was saying to Jeff the other day that like, I've seen like comments on news articles where like you'll have an article where something is like, like in, in police uh, misconduct or police crimes, you'll have something that is like literally covered up by the police for like years. And then finally the information gets out and you'll see comments like, uh oh, this is an old story. It happened this many years ago. And it's like, yeah, but that's because like, like when you have something that they don't want you to know about, the reporters don't just get handed that story. They have to investigate it. They have to make public records requests. They have to search court records that may, you know, require them to like find information that might not be readily available. They may, um, in some cases, they may even have to sue for the information. You know, they may have to go through a, a court process that can potentially last years um, just to get the information to, to write the story. And I just think it's important for people to understand that like when you're reading stories um, about uh, like things like this, there there's like a whole process that goes into getting that information and you may not hear every step of that process, but I guarantee you there is a process and you should just be aware that like um, this, this information isn't like just handed to people. Like they, they have to um, go through these processes and uh, you know, we're going to be talking more about, about that. And we, we hope that um, it's going to help increase people's sort of, understanding of how the media works and uh, maybe it'll increase your understanding of like why certain things don't get out um, or they don't get out for years just because uh, as we alluded to you know there's there's problems with the media there's problems with government transparency
1: yeah and especially you know 15 years ago when the media landscape wasn't this barren wasteland torn apart by venture capitalists you know, it was it was a situation where you could have a have a reporter who could work on a story for four years yes, because they would have a job for four years in the same place. When you lose that continuity, you also lose the people who are the bulldogs, who are the ones who are willing to do it. Brad Proficient at the TNG, at the Telegram Gazette in Worcester, he's been at the Telegram Gazette for a long time. That's why he could sue the Worcester police for their records and see it all the way through because he's been there for so long and he's such an institution in that newsroom. You know, you have other newspapers like the No Chronicle. It's, it's,
0: it's funny if know? I can just interrupt real quick that you mentioned yeah. Brad Patrician, because he actually, he, he sort of replaced another reporter named Thomas K. Wood who was involved in a previous lawsuit. And Thomas K. Wood was the guy at the time who had all the institutional knowledge, but I think he left because he was unsatisfied with the way the paper was treating the reporters. And, you know, he was, I think he was like a real uh, bullish reporter who like really did his homework, really looked into records and, you know, the TNG lost him. And I'm not saying, no, I love Brad. Brad's a great guy, great reporter, um, but why can't we have Thomas Kwood and Brad Patrician? you know, right. why, why can't we have more, more journalists doing this kind of work? And the reason is because you know, there's just no money in it. Like, as Jeff was saying, you know, we're getting the media is getting screwed over by these, you know, vulture, I'll call them vulture capitalists, not venture capitalists. Um, But uh, go ahead. Yeah,
1: no, it's fine. It's just, it's just, you know, one of those things where, you know, that's where I see the mass transparency project as being something that can be more, you know, crowdsourced as time moves on, where people who might not have the comfort or the wherewithal to search for records for things they care about can come to a centralized source that's willing to do the work for them and figure out how the saw you know, who isn't afraid to look and see how the sausage is made.
0: Exactly. And uh, with that thought, I think we are going to wrap this one up. I hope we were reasonably coherent. We we kind of winged it uh, a we'll lot. we Pro- Probably going to be winging it a lot. I mean, I mean, I, it's going to be like a conversational podcast, as they say, which is the polite way of saying that we're going to wing it. Um, we we are, we might have some uh, like more scripted things, but I think for the most part, we are going to keep it fairly conversational. We will have some guests on. We've got some people lined up to talk about some different topics. Um, but uh we will uh see you later and make sure you check out our work uh jeff is at the mass transparency project which what's the url for that? so i
1: am mass transparency.org for the statewide records and if you're into local news and supporting local news raymondvilletribune.com uh-huh
0: and uh my website uh my newsletter is the mass dump um and that is Andrew qmr.substack.com And I also have a separate website where I post a lot of documents called qmr.news. Um, and I hope you will check that out. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, definitely, if you've got any ideas for us, feel free to hit us up. All Absolutely. right.
1: Have a Thank good day, you. everybody.